The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. The Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one. For you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered the emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. The word of the Lord. Well, this seems like an appropriate Sunday to be hearing a gospel reading about taxes, politics, Caesar, division, and entrapment. Here we are, the voting has begun in Washington state. And although we on the west side of the Cascades may not be quite as polarized as other places in the country, we are all feeling the stress of the great divides. We hear about them daily, read about them, ingest them, try to digest them, and are left feeling unsatisfied. Geez, what a season has become a catchphrase, as has, we cannot wait to say goodbye to 2020, and November 4th can't come soon enough. And of course, the caveat follows, not that we'll know anything for sure by November 4th. Okay, what a season. I can't wait to say goodbye to 2020 and November 4th can't come soon enough. I know there are and have been tremendous blessings in this season, opportunities to grow in grace and faith, but that's definitely a season, a sermon for another day. For today, I'm gonna sit down in the center of what has been a tumultuous, chaotic, and violent at times season of unrest, division, rancor, anger, and fear. Right there in the midst of that field, I'm going to sit down. I have to admit, I've jokingly said to friends that I think I need to self-isolate until November 5th, or I will have no friends or family left. I personally have found this year so difficult, not just politically, but working in the hospital, seeing people die of COVID, of the coronavirus, hearing the pain of family members, the stress of staff, my daily work life is impacted by politics. Of course, that's true for all of us in some form. So here I am, I'm going to sit down in the middle of the field surrounded by COVID-19, catastrophic weather events, smashed store windows, trash piled, homeless encampments, here I am sitting, here with angry students chanting names of fallen, murdered black persons, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and here with heartbroken family members of fallen, murdered, good police officers, saying goodbye to 2020 will be a welcome celebration. 
one might wonder why on earth I would be bringing all this up on a Sunday morning when we all sign into Zoom with the hope of encouragement, the hope of assurance. Honestly, here's the deal. If the gospel has meaning, it has to make sense and bring its own hope and encouragement here, right here in the middle of this. I've heard it said that priests should not talk about politics. There's probably an equal prohibition about priests talking about sex as well, but today I'll stick to politics. Just to be clear here about the scene set in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is right in the center of the political scene. He is political. He's challenging the temple structure that's all about tax and class and political power. He's making a lot of people nervous. Initially, I thought an apt analogy might be Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell making a deal and then approaching Mother Teresa with a tax question. But Mother Teresa, I think, was too apolitical. I think it would be more like Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell approaching Martin Luther King Jr. with a tax question. Jesus is not docile. He's not timid. He's not removed from the public debate, nor is he frightened, cowed, or silenced by the political powers. He will not be questioned, but instead asks the questions. Is it lawful to pay tax to Caesar? These men don't want an answer. They want a victory. They don't want Jesus to reason. They want Jesus to fail. I can't imagine what the disciples must have been thinking at this point. Were they holding their breaths? hoping that Jesus would just not push it any further? Were they wondering at this point where this would lead? Were they frightened? Typically in my own life, when I feel overwhelmed with data input stressors, I find it calming to walk head on into it, to let all the worry, fret, chaos play itself out in front of me. And then with a big exhale, invite God to provide a word. But in this time, I am finding that difficult. I feel maybe more like what the disciples would have felt, upset, disquieted. Honestly, as of Wednesday last week, I thought that that was the end of my sermon. I could only offer what I myself was bringing to our Lord, internal chaos. But then, as fate or the Spirit would have it, God reached in. As many of you know, and as I mentioned earlier, I am a chaplain at Overlake Hospital. Wednesday, I received a phone call from a son of not one, but two patients in our care, both his mom and dad in their late 80s, non-English speaking, not Christian, not religious. He asked if I would come to his father's room to offer some kind of ritual or prayer. He explained that his father had suffered a stroke several months ago but had come into the hospital through the ER the previous evening because of ongoing confusion. What was discovered in the evaluation process was that he had acute leukemia that at this point was not really treatable. In meeting the son later at his dad's bedside, I heard more about this family and their life. He was the younger of two brothers. His older brother was in the hospital, but down a floor with their mom. The brothers, were in their mid forties. The younger brother lives in Canada, but had been able to get across the border to be with his parents. The elder brother lives here in Bellevue. He's married and has two teenage sons. The brothers were born and raised in mainland China. They immigrated to the US and Canada in their twenties.
they brought their parents over 10 years ago. Although neither of their parents speak English, both of the sons do. After giving this general sketch about his dad's situation, the son went on to say they had never done this before. They didn't know what rituals were needed to be done, but they wanted to do whatever was right. They wanted a prayer. Probing again about religious experience, preference, upbringing, the son explained that their father had spent much of his life in mainland China under communist rule where there was suppression of all religious belief. But he then went on to say, this is, this is as much for my mom as for my dad. We were hoping that if she hears the prayers, she will just naturally understand how sick our father is. And there is some unfinished business that we hope this will take care of. The son explained that his mom would be brought up in a wheelchair to be with us in the room to be part of the prayer. Feeling still confused about how to best hear and stand with and minister to them, I said I thought it would be a good thing for me to meet their mom first. The elder son had joined us at some point in the conversation and accompanied me to his mom's room. Their mom was petite, sitting in an oversized recliner in the pale green hospital room in her 80s. Upon seeing her son speaking in Mandarin, she told him that she really needed to use the restroom immediately. We called for the nurse, but she let her son know that this was urgent. Facing her legs squared, he said, okay, we can do this. And without another hesitation, he reached down, scooped her up in sitting position and carried her to the bathroom. Forgetting liability and worry about tripping, his attentiveness to her need in the moment was simply beautiful. Later, when she was wrapped in a white cotton hospital blanket and ready to make the trek up a floor to be with her husband, I asked again about upbringing, about experience of the divine or life philosophy. At that point, she broke down. Speaking in Mandarin, we had an interpreter she spoke of the things in her heart. Her son would interject biographical information to flush out the story of his parents' lives. She began by first saying that in her culture, there is a belief that the good you do in your lifetime is carried on by those who are the recipients of that good, like your children. She said she hoped that they had been good enough and that their children would be the bearers of that good into the future. I assured her that I could see in their son's interactions with their parents that goodness. She then went on to say that although she grew up without religious teaching, she knew that there was something good, a god or gods, because there have been so many things that keep happening that show her that she's being looked after. Coincidences, like the interpreter who was with me sent randomly, but having been raised in the same village this woman was born in and with the same last name as her nanny there, all of this said through tears. The son filled in historical details. Although his parents did not meet until they were in their 20s, both of his parents' families, grandparents on both sides, had fled China during the civil unrest in the 30s. Both had gone first to India and then to Indochina. 
His father, feeling a kinship to India, had returned there as a teen to work in a program near the China border. In a skirmish between the two countries, he was captured, taken prisoner, and spent several years in a concentration camp. Upon his release, he returned to mainland China, and it was there that he met his wife, married, and raised his children. The political strife and change this man had witnessed was remarkable. His children talked about the cultural revolution in China as simply a fact, and only added as an addendum that their uncle, whom they did not know, died during it. He was a professor of Chinese literature. In explaining her husband's religious spiritual perspective, Kei Ping told me about the unfinished business she was worried about. She said that her husband recently told her that he remembers as a young boy in India, when his family was very poor, getting milk from a Christian church, that that had meant so much to him. He said it was something that he never forgot. Her wish was that he had had the chance to go back and find this church. That is why the sons hoped that prayer would bring peace. Having relayed this to us, Kei Ping looked at me and through the interpreter asked, what does the sky look like? The interpreter explained that the reference to, reference to the sky was a reference to heaven. What does heaven look like? What do Christians say about heaven? There is a reading in our scriptures, I said, our holy book, that talks about heaven as a banquet, a gathering of all peoples, all the tribes, all the cultures gathered at a table, sharing in a lavish feast, wine and fruit and music. She nodded, I understand, she said through the interpreter. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. What do we give to Caesar? Our work, our debate, our consent, our dissent. We are obliged to speak our truth, to act in ways that reflect our convictions. Our faith does not allow us the luxury of sitting on the sidelines. The incarnation does not allow us the luxury of sitting on the sidelines. This is where Jesus is, right in the middle of the field with us, right in the midst of the turmoil. Whether we consider ourselves liberal or conservative, Republican, Democrat, or libertarian, as people of faith, we have to be part of the dialogue. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. In right one of our Eucharistic prayer, we say, and here we offer and present unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls and bodies, to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice unto thee. Our work, our dialogue, our commitment to the greater good may be Caesar's, but ourselves, we are God's own. <laughs>